Patrick Lencioni was a uh, human resources expert. And at the time, Steve Jobs wanted to hire him to come and work for him in his companies. But instead, he went off and started his own company where you guys have had jobs where the, the human resources department, can you turn the, uh, my mic down just slightly? It's a little hot. Where you've been in companies where human resources are kind of a wreck, you know, their ways of interviewing, their ways of uh, doing raises, their ways of handling things are a wreck. So he was like, well, what if we start a company and really help companies do a better job at this? So they started a company, started training companies in, and uh, after their company was started, they, they looked at each other and said, what are we looking for when we hire? Like, we're supposed to be the experts in this. So, like, what are we looking for? What are the characteristics we want to see in the people that come and work for us? So they, they created this, like, these three traits that, that became, like, this is what our company is seeking in our employees. And they, their, their three traits were humble, hungry, and smart. And they said, that's what we want in our company, but that's not what every company needs. Every company needs to look at their own needs and discover that for themselves. Well, when they started training other companies, and the other companies were coming and saying, we have, we have no idea how to hire. What should we look for? And they were like, well, I don't know. You need to think about it. You need to look at your own hiring standards, and you need to look and see your own vision statement, and you need to, like, you need to come up with the own your own characteristics that you're looking for in an ideal employee. And the company, company after company would come back and say, we're stuck. We really have no idea what we're looking for. They would say, can you just give us an example of what you're looking for? So they would say they're three, humble, hungry, and smart. And companies, the light bulb would go off, and they were like, that's what we want too. And it turned out company after company was adopting their hiring standard, and eventually turned it into a best-selling book, explaining, like, this is what we really want in a good employee, in a good team member. And I was thinking about that this week because... Like, what characteristics do you think God is looking for? What kind of characteristics do you think God is looking for? I don't want to just say, hey, well, somebody says humble, hungry, smart is the way to go. But what does God actually want from his people? When we think about raising our kids, like, what are we after? Are we after kids that have good jobs? Are we, are we after well-behaved people that like, meet some kind of standard of success? Are, are there specific characteristics that we're looking for as we try and raise kids to love and follow Jesus? What are those characteristics we look for? What kind of attitudes do we think that God is looking for? Well, today we're going to look, we're in the middle of a series called Unleash, which is really a series on how if the Bible is what God wants us to know, what does it mean for us to let that loose in our lives? You see, we, we theoretically believe in what's called the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible is everything that we need to know for salvation, for trusting in Jesus, and for walking with him. We theoretically believe that, but then in practice, we begin trying to seek off for other things. And so in this series, we're saying, what would it mean if this is really what God wants us to know? What does it mean for us to really lean into that and let that loose? And today, we're going to be looking at what characteristics is it that God wants from his people? And what does God's word have to do with that? Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 119. This is the very longest chapter in the Bible, so we will be here till Tuesday. We're going to read Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 119 is a really cool chapter. It's, it's known famously for being the longest chapter in the Bible. I think there's like 167 verses in it. But 
What's really cool about Psalm 119 is it, it was a poem, that, a song that they would use to teach kids the alphabet. Like in a Hebrew school, they would teach kids the alphabet with this song because each stanza would, would, every line in that stanza would start with one letter of the alphabet. It's this really kind of fancy, difficult thing to do in English. I really wish somebody would try that because I would love to see what it looked like. But in the first eight verses, every line started with the letter A. Then the second stanza, every letter would start with the letter B, and so on and on. And they would use that, along with a few other poems set up similarly in the Bible, to teach kids their alphabet so that they could learn to read. And so from a, from a very, very early age, this is what kids would learn. Psalm 119, 1 through 8 is what we're going to look at today. That's, verse 1 begins, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying Your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all Your commands. I will praise You with an upright heart as I learn Your righteous laws. I will obey Your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that we will see its power released in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find here in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, is that we come to God's word for confidence, for humility, and for faith. Like This thing that children are supposed to learn from a young age, here's your alphabet, and here are the truths contained in it. Call us, come to God's word for confidence, for humility, and for faith. The Bible tells us lots of other characteristics that God wants, but here at the beginning of Psalm 119, we're going to look at these three attitudes that God's Word inspires, these three characteristics that God's Word inspires in us. Verses 1-4 through four tell us, come to God's Word for confidence. Come to God's Word for confidence. And this is the what you can call the objective section of the psalm. This is the part that's like, here are the facts. This is the way that the world is. It starts, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. What's going on in this poem is each line has one word for law, testimony, word, command, statute, because each line of it, beginning with the letter A, is a meditation on God's Word. But it, it starts with, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. This link between God calls this person blessed. They're, this is the life that's worth living. It's beyond happiness. It's God's declaration of goodness over a person. And he links that to being whose way is blameless. I don't know about you, but man, I would love to have a blameless way so that nobody can look and charge me with anything. But not, not only is he calling well, whose ways are blameless, but then he, throughout this, it's talking word, it's talking law, it's talking statutes, it's talking precepts. It links, way means word, the word of God, the law of God. Verse 1, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. The Blessed are the ones who walk according to the law of the Lord. And so right here, blamelessness and the law of God are linked. Which tells us there's nothing else required of us than what we find in God's Word. 
You see, we live in a world that has all of these messages about you have to do this and you've got to go in this way and you've got to listen to this voice and you've got to do this thing and not do that thing. But Psalm 119 starts and says, the person who's blessed, the person who's blameless can find it all right here. There's nothing that God's withholding from you. And so as we listen to all of these different voices saying you should do all of these different things, God wants you to do this and God wants you to do this, we can measure all of them by His Word. Not seeking after some kind of special revelation or this special impression of God from some other place. Right here, the blameless way is not the person that's heard from God often enough and listened carefully enough. It's the person who walks according to the Word of the Lord. And maybe like me, you hear that and you go, Joe, that's, that sounds really kind of impersonal. We just have to walk around following the rules of this book. But notice verse two, I'm sorry, verse two says, blessed are those who keep his statutes. Again, word, law, command, statute. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. You see, we can go, oh, like, Saying this is the objective, blameless way can feel impersonal. But this says, no, this is where we find God. The ones that walk in this way are actually seeking God in this way. And so that means that there's nothing out there that we have to do to be blameless. We don't have to add anything to this to try and figure out what it is that God wants for our lives and what's going to please Him. And so the effect of this, okay, here's the blameless way, is that we can be confident. God's not holding back from us. God's not making some secrets that we've got to seek out and we've got to do enough things and we have to hear His voice often enough. The, the point of this, blessed is the one whose ways are blameless, is that we can be confident we know what God wants for us. We live in a world that says you should be self-confident. Raise kids that are self-confident. You just, your issue is actually you just look down on yourself too much. You don't think enough about how capable you are. But God's word says, no, you can be confident because God has given you everything that you need to know what he wants you to do, to know how he wants you to live, to know how he wants you to trust him. We can be confident, not in ourselves, but we can be confident because God has given us his words. It's the thing that we see when Paul gets to the end of his life and he says, I've run the race. I've run the race. You see, if we're constantly chasing after our own impression of what it is that God wants, then we might never have run the race because we might have gone wrong at some point. But this right here, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the way of the Lord, mean we can be confident we know exactly what God wants for us. And we don't have to go chasing, we don't have to go wondering, we don't have to go through life doubting because maybe we've broken man-made rules, maybe because we haven't heard impressions often enough. No, we can be confident that God has given us everything we need to know Him, to love Him, to trust Him, and to obey Him. So where's your confidence? Is your confidence in the things that you do? Is it in man-made rules? Is your confidence in... Is your confidence in people or is your confidence in the fact that God has laid out, here is the blameless way and I'm not holding back from you. Second, I want to show you the second attitude that God's word inspires. So first, it, 
It inspires confidence. But then come to God's word for humility. You see, if we go, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, the more that I read this, the more that I see I break it. And that's what we see in this psalm. Verse 5 says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. This movement from here is the objective reality. God's word is clear. And God's word is the thing that's going to make me blameless. It creates a tension as I put my life up against it and go, that's not my life. As we get closer in knowing this is exactly what God wants me to know, then I begin to feel this heart-wrenching tension that says, but I don't live like that. I don't think like that. I don't love like that. And so we begin to long with the, with the, the psalm. We begin to long for God's Word to take root in our hearts. We can go, God, this is your standard and I have not kept it. And instead of pushing it away, the psalmist says, I'm longing more for this. I want, I want, I want to know your word and I want to keep it. I want to love it. I want to walk in it. You see, we can hear the word of God. We can hear the law of God and hold it high and realize that I do not keep it. And that's, that's where humility is at. That's where there's room for the gospel. But so often we instead lower the law of God so that we can come up higher and feel a little bit better about it. We begin to lower the law of God rather than like they do here in the psalm and raise it up high and say, one day, one day I, I, I want to keep that law. I do not keep it now, but, but I long for it. Brian, who attends here at our church, was telling me about sharing the gospel in a local jail, and how, how so often sitting there in the jail, sharing the gospel with somebody that's in prison for something that they've done, something that they've been accused of doing often that they're guilty of, they look at him and say, but I'm a good person. And I heard that and I stopped and went, what? Like they're sitting there with crimes held over their head in jail, but protesting, no, I'm a good person. But isn't that what we all do? We know the things that we've said that we shouldn't have said. We know the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. We know the things we should have done that we ignored. And yet we go, oh, but it's not that bad. But God's word, the more that we read it, it exposes us. Saying, look, here's God's standard. This is the blameless way and you have not walked in it. Romans 1 is the chapter that I uh, often turn to to be humble like that. Because we all have a list of things that we go, I can't believe people do things like that. But Romans 1 exposes my own heart. Romans 1 is the place that says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness. And that's where we would go, yeah. And we can make our own list of all the things that the lawbreakers, that those people out there that are worse than us do. But then he says, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Right there, you get me. As soon as you get to greed, that's where you get me. Maybe it's like you. We can make a list of all the depraved things people can do. But here in the West, in the richest county, in the state of Wisconsin, greed probably gets most of us. You see, they become filled with every kind of weakness. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Murder and deceit are put side by side here. 
The word of God is supposed to be held high, exposing all of us so that we don't go, hey, I'm not like the sinners out there that say those things, go those places, do those things. Instead, the word of God is supposed to expose us. It says they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. It's easy to say, oh, look at the atheists that might be ruining things. And this says that it's the gossips. It's the gossips that do these things. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. That exposes all of us, children and adults alike. They invent ways of doing evil and disobeying their parents are both on equal grounds before the law of God. And so we come to God's word for humility. Not just so it'll give us confidence. Hey, look, look at how good you are. Instead, look at how much you need to be saved from. And so the effect of the, of the word of God should be that it brings us to humility, to despair. So that each one of us says, who can save me from this body of death? Who can save me? Which brings us to the third attitude that God's word inspires. The third attitude that God's, inspire, God's word inspires in Psalm 119, verse 8. I will obey your decrees. Do not forsake me. Do not utterly forsake me. So we are to come to God's word with faith. It inspires confidence that God's not withheld his standards from us. It's inspired humility because we realize that we do not need it. But then it creates a longing, this forward-looking hope, reaching our arms out saying, one day I will obey your decrees. I shall obey these things. God, I want this to be true. You see, if we come to God's word just to confirm what we're like, just to give us a few instructions, without instead reaching our arms up in forward-looking faith, what John Piper would call faith in future grace. And we've not read it right. The point of the Bible is to help expose our sin and then help us to long for a Savior. Jai Packer says, God ordinarily gives faith the mother and repentance the daughter to those who are resolutely, self-distrustfully, imploringly reaching for both. Let me read that again. God ordinarily gives faith the mother and repentance the daughter to those who are resolutely, self-distrustfully, imploringly reaching for both. That's supposed to be the image that we get as we come to God's word, whether we're a child or an adult, whether we're in retirement or we're just starting out a career, that we reach our arms out to God's word, believing that God, only God can save us and that one day he's going to. So the call to us is to come to God's word to remember and believe that God says he's going to do the thing that he's promised that he will do. This verse, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the one that leads us to Christ because Jesus is the only one that can actually pray this prayer and sing this psalm with no need of somebody else to rescue him. He's the one that could say, I have obeyed your decrees. You do not utterly forsake me. And yet we see from the cross, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so those of us who find God's standards to be good, who find ourselves humiliated by them, reaching our arms up in faith and find a Christ who obeyed on our behalf and died on our behalf and was resurrected so that we don't bear the punishment of God's word. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we can come to God's Word with confidence because God's Word is good and it will not condemn us. We can come to God's Word with humility because we haven't met it, but that is not the final word over us. And we can come to God's Word with faith because He died in our place and was resurrected and says, I will come for you again. If you go, Joe, what are you talking about? How can I know for sure? What is this resolute, self-distrustingly imploring, reaching for Christ? What does that look like? The story of the Bible is that God made the world and he said, I am the king over it and humans will be little kings under me. Take this world, shepherd it, steward it. And that Adam and Eve and you and I and every human being and the whole human race said, no, we will live our own way. You will not be king over us. And so whether we are four years old or 80 years old, each one of us is condemned by that standard. God, you will not be my king. Instead of leaving us in that place, God has given us his word and then he came as a human being, Jesus Christ, living the life that we should live and dying the death that we should die. So that all who reject their own ways, that's called repentance, and instead turn in faith and take Jesus alone, Jesus only, will be welcomed back into his kingdom, but better than that, welcomed into his family. And so the call of this, the call of the gospel is take Jesus, the very word of God. If you have questions about that, please do not hesitate to grab me during the next song. Grab somebody that brought you that you know and that you trust, whether you're a child or an adult. This is too important. Don't put this off. Don't act like this doesn't matter. This is everything. So the call to this is come to God's word for confidence, for humility. Come for faith. And I want you to imagine with me, what does that look? What would happen? in a person's life, if their confidence and their humility and their faith came from God's word, not from what happens in the swirl of the world around them. Imagine what that person's life would be like. Imagine what your life would be like if your confidence comes from God's objective written word. If your humility comes from not meeting it and your faith comes from knowing you don't have to because Jesus has done it on your behalf. Imagine what that looks like in a family where the family's confidence doesn't come from what the world outside thinks, doesn't come from the accomplishments that they have, but instead it comes from what God declares. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Imagine what that blessed kind of family looks like. Imagine what a a block in your town On your street, imagine what your block looks like with some people whose confidence doesn't come from their gifts, but instead it comes from the Word. It comes from a Word that gives confidence and humility and it gives faith that can make a difference on that block. Imagine if our region was dominated by these traits that come from God's Word. That's what it means for us to unleash God's Word in our lives and in our families and in our blocks and in our region. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your great Word. We thank you that it is so powerful and that we can know it's not something that's just separate from us, but that as we seek you, we will seek you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.